Welcome to The Cutting Floor, a weekly podcast of West Cannon Baptist Church. Each week we'll be looking at topics and questions coming from the Sunday morning sermon passage that didn't make it into the sermon or were worth looking at further. In other words, what was left on the cutting floor. I'm Emily and with me is Pastor Zach. This week, Pastor Kelly continued our Christmas Advent series on peace. Why do the genealogies about Jesus in the gospel accounts not match? Well, the genealogies in Matthew and Luke's gospel are the two genealogies that are at play here. And in Matthew's genealogy, once we get to David, he starts tracing David's line through his son Solomon. But in Luke's gospel, Luke traces David's line through one of his other sons, Nathan. And you work your way down through these genealogies, and the names throughout the rest of the genealogy are almost entirely dissimilar. These are not the same family line that's being traced in Matthew's account and in Luke's account. And then you make your way all the way down to Joseph, and we read in Matthew's gospel that Joseph's father's name is Jacob. And in Luke's gospel, we read that Joseph's father's name is Eli. So the question is, one, what's going on here? And second, which gospel account is right? The answer to the second question is that both of these genealogies are right. The question, what's going on here, is a little bit harder to answer. I think that there are multiple reasonable explanations for why these genealogies seem to be so different. Um, one of which is that it's a custom frequently throughout Hebrew literature to see that for somebody uh, of significance, that there will actually be two family lines that are traced. The one is the royal lineage, and the second is the actual biological family line. And so assuming that to be the case, the royal line would be the one that we find in Matthew's gospel, because that's tracing David to his son Solomon. That's the kingly line versus the line in Luke is David to Nathan, that might be the biological line. So that's one explanation that Matthew is emphasizing because the emphasis of his gospel is the kingdom of God, that Jesus is the one who comes from this line of kings in fulfillment of the promises made to David. Whereas in Luke's gospel, he might be more concerned about the actual genealogical, biological line of how we get to uh, Jesus from David. So that's one possible explanation. Another is that the principle of Leverite marriage where uh, somebody dies in Israel without having any children, and so their near relation will marry their spouse and then try to have children or to pass on the family line, that potentially that may have happened a number of times throughout these genealogies. And so one genealogy is just giving the heads of the household, whether or not they actually were the ones who had children. And then the other genealogy is uh, accounting for the Leverite marriage and the fact that um, only those who actually bore the children are being accounted for. So that's another explanation. However, the one that I think is most persuasive is that in Matthew's gospel, we are being given Joseph's lineage, that he is from David through Solomon, that he is from this kingly line. However, in Luke's gospel, I believe that we are being given Mary's genealogy. Now, it says that Joseph is the son of Eli uh, there in Luke's gospel, but assuming for a moment that Luke is, is saying that Joseph is Eli's son-in-law, there is no word for son-in-law in the Greek. And so this is just one way in which um, authors would account for um, the genealogy of someone uh, without necessarily naming the son, because there isn't an, a, a term there for son-in-law. Now, it is irregular. It's not normal 
for us to have a woman's genealogy listed down in one of these formal genealogies. But this is no normal circumstance. We're talking about someone who is uh, not married yet to Joseph, who has, by the mechanism of the Holy Spirit, by the oversight of the Holy Spirit, conceived uh, and w- without any sort of human relations and is bearing God the Son. So this is a unique circumstance which would, I think, require a unique genealogy. Moreover, this is the way in which Jesus is actually biologically connected to David because he is not, formally speaking, Joseph's son. Uh, he is born of the virgin birth. And so for him to be biologically connected to David, uh, not only through adoption, but more importantly through his actual family line, then Mary must be connected to David in some way too. And I think that's what Luke is giving us. He's giving us Mary's genealogy. And so both from his adoption from Joseph, he is in the kingly line, and from his adoption through his actual biology through Mary, he is connected uh, directly to David's family. So what is the significance of Christ being in David's line? So God made a promise to David that from his household— the scepter was never going to depart from Israel, and that ultimately there was going to come one from David's line who would be greater than David himself. Uh, David himself makes reference to this in numerous psalms, including where he says, "My Lord said to my Lord, Wait until I make all my enemies thy foot, all thy enemies their footstool." So David is confessing that from his own line is going to come one greater than him, who he will call Lord. Jesus himself will make reference to this psalm to the religious leaders and ask them the question, if the one to come is David's son, why does David call him Lord? And we read that the from that point forward, the religious leaders stop asking Jesus questions because they don't know how to, to deal with that reality. But the reality that God is revealing is that this one to come from David fulfills the promises that he made to David of a king that would come from him who would eternally establish this kingdom But this one would be greater than David because he would not merely be a man, but he would also be God the Son and therefore would be able to inaugurate a kingdom without end. And so the hope that we have realized in the coming Messiah uh, for the people of Israel, the coming Messiah in Jesus, is the hope that we now experience of this eternal reign of the one who rightly sits on David's throne, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. Did Herod really kill all of the baby boys in Bethlehem? So we read of this, you know, horrible circumstance in Matthew's gospel that when this account of these unique happenings in Bethlehem that seem to point to the birth of a special child reach Herod's ears, that in a fit of jealousy and fear, um, he's concerned that this is a child that is going to potentially unseat him or his sons from the throne. His means of remedying his own paranoia is to kill all of the baby boys, those two and under in in Bethlehem. It's this horrific event. One, I think we need to take this as a a literal happening. It fulfills the prophecies that there will be grieving that comes from Rama for Rachel over her children because they are no more. Uh, Moreover, I think that this connects our story there in, in Advent back to the first deliverance of God's people all the way back in the Exodus. Moses is a special child, and he's delivered from the wrath of a king who is trying to kill all of the baby boys, all of the Hebrew baby boys. And so Moses is the type of this coming deliverance, is the one who is delivered from this genocidal monarch uh, who is trying to clear the way for his own throne and his own power, but who, by God's power, delivers God's people, 
Later, the greater one, Jesus, is similarly delivered from the wrath of a king and will bring a greater deliverance from God's people and exodus, not only from slavery to Egypt, but more importantly, deliver us from our slavery to sin. Does the prophecy in Hosea 11, which says, Out of Egypt I called my son, refer to the people of Israel in the exodus or to Christ? I think the answer to that question is both. It's a, it's a yes. We see this often throughout biblical prophecy, that there's a double layer of fulfillment. There's an immediate fulfillment and sometimes even a, a, a fulfillment that looks backward, but also a, a fulfillment, a later, greater fulfillment that comes later. And so God did call Israel, his son, which it refers to throughout uh, the Old Testament, out of Egypt in the Exodus, that after four years of bondage, he calls his people out of Egypt and delivers them. But that Exodus itself is, again, a foreshadowing of the greater Israel, Jesus Christ, who is true Israel, of his going to Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod, and then after a period of time being called back from Egypt to be the deliverer uh, that God's people need and that, that we need. And so this out of Egypt I call my son is something that both looks back to the Exodus and also in Hosea's uh, prophecy anticipates what God will do through Jesus. And so when we see Joseph and his family going to Egypt and then coming back, we see one of these prophetic fulfillments that indicates that his son is indeed the true promised Messiah. If you have any questions from the sermon or the sermon passage that you would like to have answered on the podcast, please email them by 8 a.m. on Tuesday morning to questions at westcanon.org. We'll see you next week.